What is up, night fans? Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you as finally, Eric, we are in conference play right about when we should be, right? End of September. That's right. Just like <laughs> really how it's probably supposed to be after all, right? Having Everything works out in the season. end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And we got a big game. I mean, it's a big game. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a marquee game. You know, it's a big game when ESPN College Game Day is in town to do a feature on your coach. That's right. We're going to talk about some of that as well because I got some stuff that I want to talk about that I'm starting to get a little worried about in the next right. in the next uh, in the next few weeks here. Of course, UCF is facing Memphis game that was scheduled for week two, pushed back to this week because of the storm. Uh, some checks were written, uh, and here we are. It's going to be a primetime Saturday night game on ESPN two between UCF and Memphis. We're going to preview that one, uh, and we're also going to talk to. Our good friend from the American Digital Network and the Memphis Radio Network, I call him the Human Swiss Army Knife, uh, Jeff Brightwell is going to join us. He uh, does radio for Memphis as well, and um, he's going to give us quite a bit. He, he gave us quite a bit of insight on the Tigers and gave us some really good insight on the Tigers side of the whole the whole plane flight you know, landing in the Orlando. Truth. You mean the truth? And, yes, Wait, the truth. a crazy concept? The truth? I know, right? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, right? So That's gave, some made-up stuff, that message some, board blotter. Yep, gave us some really good uh, insight on that that you're not going to want to miss. So uh, don't forget to follow us, uh, as always, at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We got our preview stuff up for uh, the coming weekend. We have uh, also, don't forget, we're on Facebook at uh, just search for Black and Gold Banneret. And on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret as well. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can also download this podcast and uh, subscribe if you haven't already on uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, Elo, here we go. UCF in Memphis uh, set for Saturday, uh, 7 p.m. kick. UCF, both teams come in undefeated. UCF is 2-0. Memphis is 3-0. The Tigers... Uh, have beaten along the way uh, Louisiana Monroe, and then they got that big win against UCLA, 48-45, knocking off Josh Rosen and company, and they're coming off a 44-30 win, 44-31 win, rather, over uh, Southern Illinois. So here they come. The Tigers are coming in 7 o'clock on uh, Saturday. It's a national TV game, ESPNU. Knights obviously coming in off that win against Maryland. Now, I want to know from you, Eric, based on – because we were live-blogging the Maryland game. We're going to be live-blogging this game as well. What do you think we're going to see from this game? Because I, you know, I'm looking at these two teams coming in, all the points that they've been scoring, and I just have a hard time believing that we're not going to see more of the same in this game. Like, this is – we are bound for a shootout, are we not? It, it's looking like that. I mean, I know I felt that way going into the second week of the season with the two teams, and – you know, we'll have Jeff Brightwell on shortly, and, and we'll talk about it. But Memphis's defense, one thing we have seen is they're very banged up. Yeah, uh, they, They're not very healthy as they're going to come into Orlando, and they've had some struggles as a result on the defensive side of the ball. Now, you expect them to struggle against UCLA. Josh Rosen is a future NFL first-round pick next season for UCLA, so that wasn't a surprise. But even Monroe and even the, the homecoming game against Southern Illinois, they gave up yards and points. Yeah, they gave and, up thir- they gave up 29 in that opener against Louisiana yeah. Monroe at home. Oh, they played all three of their games at home, and they gave up 29 in – I don't know if you guys remember that game, but they played it right after our game against FIU. And, right. it, was, it, and it was played in a torrential downpour because 
hurricane the remnants of uh, Hurricane Harvey were making their way through um, through the through the uh, through the valley, and man, they were playing that game. It, it was a, it was a real mess out there, and they still gave up twenty nine points uh, to Louisiana Monroe. So um, so yeah, they have given up their fair share of points this year. They have, and that's why you know obviously a lot of this focus. And this game is going to be Memphis's offense led by quarterback Riley Ferguson against UCF's defense, which has played well in the first two games, dominated Maryland. It's strength versus strength. You could make the argument that it's the best offense of the American Conference against the best defense in the American Conference. But I think the key is going to be interesting. Um, with Memphis's struggles, I want to see if UCF's offense mm-hmm. can take advantage of that. Because I was there in College Park, you mentioned in Maryland, and, and certainly – this, you know, the UCF with a decisive win. Uh, but if people remember, obviously, that first half, the offense was a little sluggish. Yeah. Um, Rusty, McKenzie certainly. Hilton, uh, certainly, Rust maybe played a role in that. Uh, Scott Frost in the postgame took some of the blame, said he didn't call a very good first half. Um, but Mackenzie Milton wasn't accurate early on in the game. He was missing some throws. And I bring it up because I think that's going to be the key there is. I think if you're UCF – offensively you've got to get off to a good start, a better start, and attack this Memphis defense that's very vulnerable because if you could jump on a lead on Memphis, now I think that helps your defense and maybe kind of zero in on Ferguson. Whereas if you get off to a slow start and now all of a sudden your defense is on the field a lot, I think Memphis will take advantage of that and now you're playing catch-up. So I think that's some of the things to look for early in this football game. So I'm not really dodging the question. I mean, I mean obviously, I don't know what the the over under is. Certainly, you would, you would think it's a high scoring game, but I, can I think tell you right now, the over under is 69. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's the thing: if UCF can get off to a good start and run the football and dominate the line of scrimmage against Memphis's defense and keep the UCF's defense off the field, you know, I. I, I, I feel confident with this defense. If anybody's going to slow down Memphis's offense, I think it's going to be UCF's defense. And I think we're going to learn if UCF's defense is as good as we think they are. Because clearly, I do think this. This will be the best offense and the best quarterback UCF sees all year long on the schedule, by far. Yeah, I, I, I'm particularly interested in seeing how, how we get off, you know, based on, I would like to see how we, Start the game. Do we start the game like we did against FIU, where they scored on that first drive, and it was, the, and then you put put them down seven right off the bat, right? Or are we sluggish ourselves, and do we give their defense a little bit of hope? Just like I, I think that the twenty three day layoff again, uh, uh, coming into the Maryland game was the big factor for why the first three possessions we just looked totally out of sync, um, but made a couple plays uh, and worked ourselves out of it. And we got some momentum after the after the after Maryland's quarterback went down, and it was the defense that really gave us that momentum. I think that's the most important thing. Can the defense get a stop or two? Maybe you go up seven. Maybe you go up you know seven nothing on that first drive. Get a turnover, or a quick uh, three and out. You get a field goal. Maybe you get another touchdown. Put them down fourteen nothing. You know, but even if you do that, though, Eric. This Memphis offense, you know, let's not sleep on them, okay? Because um, they could get right back into it in a hurry. They are the third best scoring offense in the American right now at 43 points a game. UCF, incidentally, is number one at 49 and a half. SMU is second. 
But uh, Memphis, you did mention, is third from the <laughs> bottom. Easy, has to play SMU too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But wow. Memphis is third from the bottom in scoring defense. They're giving up 35 a game. They are fourth from the bottom in total defense, giving up 483 yards a game. So, you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, man, I, you know, and in particular what they've been, what they've been really vulnerable to uh, is the pass. Uh, right now, Memphis is uh, is giving up 344 yards a game through the air. Um, that's uh, boy, that that that's going to be. Uh, if you're Mackenzie Milton right now, I mean, you're just looking at the film, saying, "Oh God, get me out there and 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 facing this defense. I need to face but this that, defense right now." Right? But that, well, yeah, but that's why again, as I mentioned in the Maryland game, he was a little off in the accuracy early on in the game. That he's got to be sharp from the get go because mm-hmm. I think there will be plays there to be made. And I think that's going to be the key there. So, uh, yeah, I think Memphis is defensive vulnerable. Obviously, Memphis's offense is very good. I think from Memphis' point of view, I would expect them to attack UCF secondary, uh, which we saw a little bit of Maryland in that one touchdown drive where they picked on the freshman more mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. I would not be surprised if they Memphis. I think that's part of the game plan. Um, you think we're going to see more of Mike Hughes in this game because of that? He had the pick six against Maryland. Yes, I would think so. Uh, I think you're going to have to because I think Memphis will try to spread him out a little bit. So uh, I, I think that's definitely a factor. So, I, I look, I think it's a heck of a game. I mean, Memphis was the preseason pick in the West. Uh, they showed that. They beat UCLA. Uh, I, I do believe that this is the best team UCF will probably see on the schedule. Uh, I know some people are rolling their eyes and we're like, what about USF? I actually think Memphis is better than USF. I think Riley Ferguson is far superior as a quarterback, passer especially, than Flowers. Flowers is more dynamic, obviously, with his legs, and that will be the challenge. But as far as a passer, uh, Riley Ferguson is very good, and that's going to be a challenge for the UCF secondary. I'm looking forward to this game. Um I, I was thinking about this, and I know some people uh, the UC, in, in UCF have even maybe even tweeted this out and stuff about the be- biggest home game in a while. And I think this is the biggest home game since 2013, Jeff. I mean, I, I do. I think it's since that Houston game on that Saturday night, even that USF Black Friday game, mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina that year, of course. I think this is the biggest home game they've had since then. Obviously, there was no big games in 2015 to speak of. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, 2014, you had the BYU game, which was a Thursday night. But, yeah, you know, last year you had some nice home games. But this is a big one. This is a uh, – obviously, with everything that's gone on, it's the first home game in over a month. Uh, it's a good, a good Memphis team, a good TV time slot, by the way, 7 o'clock on the yeah, deuce. Very good so, TV time slot. So I expect a good audience for them. And, you know, it's an opportunity. I think we learn a lot about this UCF team. I think it's a chance for them – to, to to announce to everybody that they're a legitimate American conference contender if they were to beat Memphis and uh, to see how far they've gone. Uh, ESPN College Game Day, as we have found out early on Wednesday, is on campus. They're doing a feature on Scott Frost. I believe he's even mic'd up during one of the practices. Uh, Frost actually talked about that on his radio show tonight on all Wednesday night as we record. Um, and there's going to be a feature on him. So uh, the national media is starting to pick up here and uh, certainly Memphis with Norville. I mean, you got two young coaches here, Jeff, that, you know, if they keep doing what they're doing. They're going to be on a lot of coaching lists uh, after the year and maybe even, you know, the years to come. We're going to get to more on that in a second. Uh, but first, 
Let's go to our guest. He's an old friend of ours from uh, we I, we've done a lot of work with alongside him at the American Digital Network for baseball, softball, uh, as well. And he does play by play for Memphis. He does uh, pre and post game for Memphis as well. You name it, he does it for the Memphis Radio Network. Here's our uh, and he's going to give us actually some really great insight on the Tigers heading into this game. Here is our interview with Jeff Brightwell. And joining us now is an old friend of ours from the American Digital Network, and also the uh, regularly he's a part of the Memphis Radio Network, where uh, well let's just let's just call it like it is. He's a human Swiss Army knife. Jeff Brightwell joining us <laughs> here from uh, from the Memphis Radio Network. Brightwell, uh, it's still hot up there up in Tiger Town, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you call me a Swiss Army knife because I was just uh, over in Switzerland two weeks ago. Did is not pick so? up a Ar- Swiss Army knife, but. But over the two weeks there, yeah, it's still hot up here in the fall like it usually is. It's probably a, somewhat like Orlando. We're not going to get any cool weather probably for another month. I know you probably get, you guys won't get another a little bit of cool weather till in December. That's all relative to, uh, to Florida. <laughs> Right, yeah, we're expecting to we're expecting it to drop below eighty sometime after Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, hey, uh, let's talk a little. Uh, let's talk a little Tiger football right now. You guys are uh, coming off. Of, well, so far the the uh, Tigers are three and zero. Scored thirty seven points at least in all three games. You guys got that big win over UCLA. But thinking back to where let's let's come to let's go to where we are right now with where okay. this game was supposed to be. We were supposed to play in the second game of the season. Hurricane comes by. There's the whole uh, the, the Memphis team charter reportedly flies down to Orlando, finds out that the governor was on it, and you were on it. Okay, so this is so, I was on it. I so the, everybody I can give you the real detail. Yeah. All right. So I'll, all right, that's what I'll do then. I'll just get out of the way. Tell us what happened from your seat. Well, you know, we get to the airport, in Memphis, to, the, to where we fly the charter. Haven't heard anything yet. I believe Florida State had just canceled their game or postponed their game right before we left. Uh, you know, once you get there, you don't know anything. You can't hear anything. So everything's on a schedule. We fly down to Orlando. We land. Of course, everyone turns their, their, their cell phones on, starts checking Twitter, see what's going on. And everyone immediately starts to see the stuff on Twitter about the governor shutting down the, uh, the universities in Florida. And immediately, I kind of knew in the back of my head, I was like, we're, we're not going to play this game. If he shut down the public universities, that means the employees – are not going to be able to report to work, all that stuff. So we get off the plane, actually get onto the buses on the tarmac. Uh, about 10 minutes later, you start hearing the uh, the officials up in the front of the bus. Of course, we're, you know, when you fly at the team, you're not with the, the team bus, per se. You're on that bus number four, usually, mm-hmm. uh, with the administrators. You can start hearing some uh, some stuff floating up front, and all of a sudden you hear someone go, we're not, we're not playing. Try to see if the pilots have some time left. We can get back tonight. Fortunately, they had some hours left to get us back home. So we were on the tarmac only for about 15 to 20 minutes on the bus, reloaded, repacked the airplane. I was back home by, by 11. So it was about a five-hour round trip for the, uh, for the weekend. But, you know, it's, it's nothing you can do. The, the, the governor had to do what he had to do. It wasn't as the weather conditions would not allow us to play. But in that situation, uh, with what you guys are dealing with, those those first responders, they need to be elsewhere than working a football game that weekend. Yeah, it kind of stinks and get to play. Fortunately, we're able to reschedule it. But the first responders needed to be where they could help people uh, with the hurricane. Of course, I'm sure there's lots of employees, not only full-time employees at UCF, but game day staff, 
that needed to be at home, they've got family coming up from the southern part of Florida as well. So, it, you know, it, is it an inconvenience? Yes. Was it the right call? Absolutely. Wow. I mean, it was it was kind of a bizarre moment there for about or right around like what is it about? I think about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning is when we were still trying to find out, you know, what was going on. Eric, you what were you going to say just now? Well, it's a, it's a, it's remarkable to good to hear that story, but in a, it's funny. It's worked out in that I would argue that by this game now being played on the thirtieth, and as a result of Memphis beating UCLA and UCF beating Maryland, this game has actually gotten bigger than it would have been when they would if they would have played that second weekend of the season, hasn't it? Oh, I, I think so. You know, it it benefits us a little bit too. I'm sure there's there benefits for UCF. We were coming off the game where we were playing in the remnants of the hurricane that had come up through Texas and Houston that weekend. We played that Louisiana Monroe game. And really, that was a game that could have been called off in Memphis as well. Extremely windy ball game, very heavy rains in the first half, a game where both teams basically just had to, you know, put it between the tackles and play some old-school football. There was not a lot of passing in that ball game. Really physical game. We were kind of beat up going toward. Orlando, so that bye week helped us feel up, probably helped us a little bit in the UCLA game. We've incurred some injuries since, but as you mentioned, you guys come off the win over Maryland. We come off the win over UCLA two weeks ago. You got to think whoever wins this game has got a good chance maybe to crack into the top 25 next week, depending on what happens to those games that feature teams that are ranked 20 to 25 next week. All right, so so with the schedule, how it worked out for you guys, and I'm interested in, in this as well, because this was the week that you guys were supposed to be heading to Atlanta over to Turner Field, of all places, right. to play Georgia State. So, you know, we saw how everything went down with on the UCF side with how the, the schedule had to get shifted around and juggled. But what about on the Memphis side? How were you guys able to make this game happen this weekend? I'm just going to assume that it went through the league. I really don't have any details. I'm sure the two institutions got together with uh, the American Conference. I would imagine... Probably both institutions uh, chipped in. I'm sure the league had some financial interest in, in buying out or doing whatever they had to do to shift that game. It, it worked out pretty well. You know, we're going to get to play each other in the eighth game, and the fact that we both had a non-conference game this weekend, we could shift. I guess it was Maine. He'd go play Georgia State. I'm not really privy to the details, but I'd imagine all three entities between UCF, Memphis, and and the American had, had some kind of stake in you know, the the red tape, the financials to get that game moved up to uh, to Turner Field. I guess it's called Georgia State Stadium. I've got a buddy that's working up there now. They've done a nice job with the renovation. I'll hate not to see it, but I am glad we're getting to play that, that eighth conference game. That's really an important thing because you don't want to go. You didn't want to get to the end of the season, whether it's UCF or Memphis, and be a game short and rely on percentage points. You wanted to play the full eight games. So you really have a true measure of who wins that division. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I agree 100 percent with that. Yeah, definitely yeah. agree with that. And so we're glad that this is happening now. And we're looking at these two teams right now, Jeff. And um, wow, points, points, points so far this season. You guys, like you said, scored 37 in a uh, in a torrential downpour against Louisiana Monroe, and that's the lowest point total that the Tigers have scored this year. 48 on UCLA, 44 uh, against the uh, against Southern Illinois. So. UCF comes in having racked up 38 against Maryland and, of course, the 61 seemingly about a year ago against FIU at this point. What are we going to see from the Tigers here? What's the key for them on offense, and what should we look out for? 
Well, really, we, we, we've got to score some points. We're really banged up on defense. I'll get to that in a minute. We, you know, everybody's going to talk about Roddy Ferguson, that's the quarterback, that's the star as always. He and Anthony Miller have been an outstanding combination. Uh, they hooked up 13 times last year uh, on touchdowns. They've got a couple more this year, including another one against Seth IU the other day. Of course, Anthony put on that big show against UCLA where he had nine catches for 185 yards and two touchdowns. That's his favorite target, but also Phil Mayhew. Uh, a big kid out of Sycamoreville, New Jersey. He's a senior, 6'3". He's in the top 10 all-time in receptions. He's caught a pass in 31 straight games. Uh, we're starting to get some contributions from some freshmen against SIU last week. He opened the uh, offense up a little bit, added uh, John Williams, who's a sophomore receiver, got some action last year. He caught a few passes, including a big 40-plus starter against SIU, Devontae Coxey a redshirt freshman out of reserve, Louisiana. He started to pick up some catches. So Ferguson's got a lot of targets. Then we're kind of rotating our running backs between Dale Henderson. Uh, he's kind of the quicker back. Patrick Taylor's the bigger back in the backfield. Tony Pollard, of course, who's the special teams player of the year, uh, returned another kick for a touchdown against SIU. They're trying to find him ways to either get in the slot or be a third running back back there defensively. Uh, I'm sure you've looked at it. We're, we're really banged up this year. Uh, early that year, the Monroe game, uh, since the Monroe game, we're out Jackson Dillon, Jared Gentry, Darian Porter, Tim Gordon. We lost uh, Sean Rupert the other night for a significant amount of time. So we were already playing a couple of freshmen in the defensive backfield. Uh, now we're going to rely on, on up to three freshmen, uh, including one true freshman in the backfield, and that is T.J. Carter, who's played well so far this year. Uh, but it's, it was a good defensive backfield. It's still good, but it's young. Very young. Very young indeed. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, you mentioned Riley Ferguson, and I remember we talked about him while we were hanging out in Greenville calling the uh, softball championship tournament, and we were talking right. about Paxton Lynch and D'Angelo Williams. You brought up Riley Ferguson as possibly being that next guy, and, uh, and people know him now that maybe didn't know about him after the UCLA game. What can you tell us about him? What it, what makes him so good? Well, he, he's a pocket passer. He's not going to get out and run outside the pocket very much. He's a big kid when he runs. He'll put his head down, which you know coaches really don't like. They'd rather the quarterback slide. He's had of injury trouble. You know, last year was really great because he had had to sit out a year. He trained, he's a transfer from uh, from Tennessee across the state, but he picked up last year as he had not missed. A year. A lot of times it takes a while to get that rust off if you've just been practicing for a season. Been an outstanding, you know, outstanding season his junior year. Uh, he didn't get to throw much in the Monroe game just because of the rain, but the UCLA game was outstanding. 398 yards through six touchdowns. That's the second time he got a six touchdown game. Uh, he had six plays in that game of over 30 yards. Uh, he likes to throw it downfield. His receivers will get downfield. Uh, we don't throw it as much as we used to, kind of off to the flat of the screens, although he did get a couple screen passes against UCLA where the receivers were able to break it for some big games. But he'll, he'll stick back in the pocket, big arm, he'll go deep, and he'll take some chances. You know, the last time that we really saw Memphis, you know, make some you know, noise that was heard on sort of a national level, it was with Paxton Lynch. And with Justin right. Fuente, but now with Ferguson and Mike Norville, now the head coach at Memphis, we talk, we've seen the job that he's done over at Memphis, sort of keeping the momentum going. Are the folks in Memphis really sitting up and take taking notice of this Tiger team? Because, like you said, this game this Saturday could be an entry into the top twenty-five for the winner, 
and possibly an inside track to maybe the conference championship game. I know you guys are on the other side, but still, um, there's a lot at stake here this early in the season. Yeah, tons of interest in Memphis football. As you mentioned, Justin Fuentes last year, uh, he comes off the 10-win season where he beat by BYU in the Miami Beach Bowl. The next year, we won our first seven, made it as high as number 13 in the football playoff call, uh, beat Ole Miss, who was ranked 13th that year at the Liberty Bowl, I believe it was the fourth or fifth game of the season. Uh, had a few losses late. Justin Fuente goes to Virginia Tech. We knew it would be a transition year last year, but Norvell comes in. He gets eight wins, gets us back to a ball game, show a lot of potential to, to have a big year. So, yes, coming in, you're picked to win the West. Crowd, crowd took a big hit in that Monroe game. They were expecting over 40,000, obviously, the rain, the remnants of the hurricane that kind of crushed the crowd. Get the big crowd against UCLA. What I like to see the other night against Southern Illinois, it was homecoming. But it's still an FBS school. You know how that goes sometimes if you don't have the big name coming in. We drew over 41,000 for the uh, SIU game. So, wow. yeah, people in Memphis have taken notice. And, look, this has been a, a four- or five-year process going back from Fuente now to Norvell. For the longest time, you know, we were we were the basketball school and the kind of football was a, on the back burner. Uh, when they hired Tom Bowen, the athletic director, to come in here from San Jose State, uh, he, he was kind of charged with, hey, everyone knows football drives the bus in college athletics. We need to get football going here. It's time. We're coming off some really lean years. Uh, we got it going, and it's it's been a lot of fun the last few years. So, yeah, the city has taken notice. The fan base has taken notice. It's it's been a lot, a lot of fun at the Liberty Bowl the last few years. What is Coach Norvell like? What's he been like uh, being around? And how do you compare him to, say, a Justin Fuente and other Memphis coaches? Oh, let's see. Norvell, young guy, third youngest coach in the uh, in FBS right now. Uh, good to work with media-wise, doing the coaches' shows. Uh, he'll he'll give you your information. He's like any other coach. He's going to give you the coach speak, but he, he he'll he'll come out and talk. He's you know being in his second year as a head coach, he's He's not jaded yet, and he's not too guarded yet. I think that comes with time. Uh, the, the veteran coaches have that. Uh, very meticulous uh, in his game planning, what he likes to do, like a lot of coaches. Uh, he, he's a little bit like one day. One day was kind of a Texas guy. Norvell uh, played his college ball not far from Memphis over at Central Arkansas. College basketball. It's only a couple hours away. So there's some similarities. Uh, I think that the best thing that that Norvell did, he came in and he kept Harold Dickey, who was the uh, one of the coordinators under Justin Fuente. So he's able to keep some continuity within the program when he came in. And he's like every other good head coach. They surround themselves with very good assistant coaches, and they let them coach. You come in and you try to micromanage your first job, it can fall apart quick. So he's done an excellent job of putting a good staff and lets them do what they're supposed to do. Well, we got two young head coaches. We got two really good offenses, and we should have good weather for this one as well, Jeff Bright. Well, uh, how can uh, folks uh, keep track of you throughout the uh, season here, uh, not just football season, but with everything you do in the spring as well? Well, I'm on Twitter and, and Instagram. It's Jeff A. Brightwell. Don't forget the A, or because someone else already took just Jeff Brightwell. You took somebody else. But, but you get a lot of Tiger stuff, a lot of CrossFit stuff, because I work on their broadcast too. and probably just a lot of nonsense as well but i try to be entertained well we're still waiting that's for right. baseball season too jeff you know that's the other right. thing that we got to get ready for as well <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it'll be here before you, it'll be here before you know it. You know, mid February is right around the corner. I know, man. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Are we going to see you in Orlando this weekend? Yeah, I will be there. I'll see you at the press box. All right, cool. Nice. Good stuff. We'll see you there, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, thanks again to Jeff. Always good to talk to him, although it's kind of weird talking to him about something that's not baseball, isn't it? <laughs> Speak for yourself. I, I mean, I, I hung out with him. I, I hung out with him at softball during the softball championships. He got to work play by play. I was the color. Yes, and uh, we well, we spent a lot of time, as we mentioned in the interview. We talked about a lot of you know uh, Memphis sports, and it's funny UCF and Memphis aren't that different. Um, yeah, know, programs trying to move up. Obviously, Memphis has the great tradition with basketball that UCF doesn't. But from a football standpoint, Memphis just had some great players. D'Angelo Williams, uh, obviously, had a great had a great NFL career. Stephen Gaskowski, kicker in Memphis. Uh, Patrick Lynch. You know, it, 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 they're programs that have gone up. You know, very good cities, uh, at schools that that, yep. that have a lot of upside. Major and, met, uh, major metro areas in NBA markets. <laughs> absolutely. Right. NBA markets uh, that don't necessarily have an NFL team either, by the way, or baseball. Let's so, not forget uh, Isaac Bruce went to Memphis as well. There you go. There you go. I knew you were going to come. There's a really one. good one, too. Uh, but, yeah, no, obviously, Jeff is a cool guy. I got to hang out with him in the softball championships. That was a lot of bl- – it was a blast to work with him up in Greenville uh, this past May. I know you've worked with him indirectly – uh, in baseball because you have filled in for him the last two seasons in the baseball tournament when Memphis is playing. He's on the radio call for Memphis, so you're mm-hmm. filling in for him. Yeah, so I end up you know, having to pick his brain quite a bit about Memphis baseball coming in. And, uh, and, and Yeah, you and, probably – I can't imagine that the, – you must have had so much Memphis baseball talk that oh you boy. ever would have imagined the last two years. I tell you, I can, I, I can go right up and down that roster almost pretty much the last <laughs> couple of years. It's great. But thanks again to Jeff for – uh, hanging hanging out with us and uh, and giving us some insight uh, on the Tiger side of things. All right, there's something I want to talk to before we go to a break, or talk about before we go to a break. So we're starting to see. I don't know if you sense it, Eric, but I'm starting. I'm starting to sense it. The rumor mill starting to swirl around Scott Frost. All right. Uh, the two and zero start going into College Park, knocking off Maryland, and. The, uh, and on the other side of it, the Nebraska stuff. They fire the AD. Nebraska's off to a bad start. Uh, let's see, I'm looking up Nebraska football right now. But Mike Riley, their head coach, I think has to be on the hot seat right now for how That's they an understatement. Even after <laughs> even after was it eight win season that they had last year. Um, but right now, I'm looking at the Huskers. And they are two and two. They're coming off a win against Rutgers, but a really, really kind of kind of win against uh, against the Scarlet Knights, right? I mean, they they were they're actually trailing seventeen to fourteen at one point in the second half of that game. Uh, they're at Illinois this week before they have back to back Wisconsin and Ohio State, and of course the rumor mill starts churning. Scott Frost, Nebraska. Are we uh, on a scale of one to ten, with one being no way, and ten being oh my god he's out the door? Uh, where are you on the Scott Frost to Nebraska scale right now? Seven and a half. Okay. Uh, look, it, this is not seven and a half certain. and climbing, or seven and a half and holding. Oh, climbing. Um, look, the reason why Scott Frost is getting brought up is why he's winning. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
so that's a good thing. You know, let's not act like that's a negative. If, if, if they weren't talking about him, that means he wasn't winning. So let's get that out of the way. You got so, some naysayers out there who are like, yeah, but he's only eight and seven. He was six and seven last year. He's two and oh this year. So stop. He is winning games. And by the way, I mean, coach, there have been coaches that have had way worse records than that. They've been hired. Gene Chizik was Gene five and Chis- 19 at Iowa State, went <laughs> to Auburn insane. and won a national title. Um, right. Look, when Scott Frost was brought in here at hire, let's be honest. Everybody knew about the Nebraska, right? Uh, that this could be a possibility. I never felt Mike Riley was a a fit at Nebraska. And I think one of the issues that Nebraska has had over the last decade is they've not had the right coach. They've tried to catch up with the times, if you will, try to do this or that, and it hasn't worked. And sometimes you just kind of go with what you know. Uh, You mentioned Riley. They're they're, they're not off to a good start. His AD that that brought him in just got fired. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's never a good sign. Um, Riley never seemed to be a good fit in Nebraska to begin with. I mean, he had two stints, two rather successful stints at Oregon State and probably uh, he probably could have coached there for life. You know, to to me, it never felt like it was the right fit. Agreed. Agreed. And and just like Callahan, when they when they replaced this all goes back when they replaced Frank Solich and they brought in Callahan. Mm -hmm. They fired, they fired Frank Solich, who took over for, right. of course, the great Tom Osborne. Fired right. Frank Solich dumb. after a 9-3 and three season. And, and that was not they're, good they're, enough for them. Right. And they're paying the price for that. Um, so they're paying the price for that. Callahan was not a good fit. Bo, uh, Pelini was okay, but his personality was not. Uh, if, you know, So they just haven't hit. Here, here's the thing. and you know, It's funny because we, we get into this. And what I don't like... I hate when people try to tell a coach what he should do with his life because right. they, they have no business telling him. Like I see people writing like, why would he, why would he, why would he go to Nebraska? That's a terrible, you know, they can't win any, you know, first of all, Scott Frost has got to do what's best for him. Right. Can we all agree on that? Whether, whether that means he stays here, whether it means he goes to Nebraska, whether it means he goes somewhere else, I don't know, but he's going to do what's best for him. And I don't think anybody should begrudge that. Can we agree on that? Of course. Okay, because I don't think others do, but that's other story. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Uh, I think Nebraska is going to back to go back to their tradition. I think the negative right now that Nebraska has, and everybody's documented how about their they can't win anymore and this like that. And I don't. I think the, the funny thing is moving to the Big Ten from a financial standpoint has probably worked out for them, but I think from a football standpoint, it's hurt them because. Mm-hmm. In the Big 12, it was them and Oklahoma and Texas, right? Would you agree with that when it was back in the – it was them, Oklahoma, and Texas. Every and year. Nebraska could, and Nebraska could steal some kids from Texas. And, 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 they could I, steal and I would some say recently Kansas State. I would throw Kansas State into that equation. Yeah, but I mean like – right. But I mean the point is they were at the top of the shelf. Yeah. They could – and from a recruiting standpoint, they could steal kids from California. They could steal some kids from Texas. And so forth. They could, they, could get, they could get the they could get guys like, you know, remember back in the day, Tommy Frazier was from Florida. And right, you just get right. you, you just get the skill guys to get behind those, you know, local Nebraska kids that you get off the farm that are playing offensive line and exactly. and rush for 600 yards a game. Correct. They've moved to the Big Ten. And I think the problem in the Big Ten is you've got Ohio State. You've got Michigan. Those are two powerhouses. Now you got Penn State with Franklin and turn that program around. They're legit. Yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, that, 
Wisconsin is, is has become a Nebraska type equal. They've actually kind of been what you know a Nebraska type of a program. They've been consistent. And so the, the the good news for Nebraska is they're on the other side of the division of the Big Ten. So they could still compete and win that division with the Wisconsin, probably their main competitor, as you mentioned. But the problem is they're they're a middle of the road Big Ten program right now in football. Now that being said, I think for people to quickly ending their demise, I think is 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 always exaggerated. They can compete with the right coach. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. Nebraska fans always felt that the program was bigger than the coach. That it didn't matter who the coach was. That it was about winning big. But it has to be the right coach to win in that place. It's not like Florida, for example, that could have a Ron Zook and be a mediocre head coach, but still you can win eight games. And at Nebraska, you have to have the right coach. So I think there's two names. Two names to me. If I'm Nebraska, nobody cares what I think. But I think there's two names to keep in mind. Craig Bowl. You know Craig Bowl hmm. very well. Wyoming head coach. Yeah. Used to be at North Dakota State before that. Was an assistant and played at Nebraska. Okay. Okay. It's a family guy. And then the other one, as you mentioned, it is Scott Frost. And let me ask you this question. Who spoke at the UCF uh, kickoff luncheon this year? Who was the guest speaker? That would be one Tom Osborne. Oh, think Tom Osborne would endorse Scott Frost coming to Nebraska? <laughs> okay. And, and, and look, I think Scott Frost's personality is similar to Osborne, which is what I think works in Nebraska. See, and I think that's what Nebraska fans are used to. They don't like the personalities like a Pelini, for example, had over there. So, look. I think it's naive to suggest that, well, Scott Frost, you know, look, he's an alum there. He played there, won a national championship there. And if 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 Scott Frost has a big year this year and if Nebraska decides, hey, we want Scott Frost and Tom Osborne and Nebraska, you know, former players come to him, Trev Alberts, et cetera, say, come save our program. That's a pretty enticing uh, situation. Not to mention, I believe the Nebraska head coaching job you can make about three million dollars a year. Um, They're probably so they might even throw more than that at him. Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised. So I wouldn't blame him. Now, now okay, let's go the counter counter to this. Scott Frost was not even looked at the last time that the Nebraska job was open. That was when he was the Oregon coordinator, and 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 he was not looked at. Maybe because he didn't have head coaching experience, et cetera. And and you mentioned. So if you're Scott Frost, do you hold that as kind of like, hey, you didn't believe in me the first time around. Now you believe in me when somebody else believed in me. So um, that that's the interesting factor on that. Uh, I don't know what exactly is going to happen. I think, first of all, we need to know who the athletic director is for Nebraska. Oh, by the way. Yeah, that's and, another and, factor. And let's, and that's, yeah, let's, you know, that will play a role into that. Who is the athletic director? There's been some talk. Is it somebody within the family? Some people have thrown out the name Trev Alberts as an athletic director. Some have thrown out names. Danny White's name has been thrown out there. Uh, Harlan at USF has been mentioned out there. Who knows what they're going to do? So they have to address the athletic director's job first. And I think after that, you'll get an idea what direction they go with football. But um, look, if Scott Frost has a great if, – if Scott Frost becomes a strong contender for the Nebraska job, it means he's doing a good job here. And I think for UCF people to be – uh, I'm not saying he's definitely leaving or anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised either way in, in this industry. And I don't think anybody should be mad either way. Um, I, I, I understand it. I mean, it's his alma mater. If my alma mater came in, boom, that's a, that's, that's, you got to listen to those type of things. So who knows what's in his head? 
Uh, who knows what he wants to do? And we're just going to have to let it play out. There's really it's out of people's control. You, I mean, for people, I, I, I've never believed uh, that Scott Frost or any UCF coach moving forward is going to be here for a decade. Right. And O'Leary I, I, was it, the exception. Quite frankly, you know, I could I could make the case that I was stunned O'Leary lasted as long as he did because there were rumors flying about uh, him leaving UCF after two or three years, weren't they? Yeah, but he got that huge extension after the 05 season. And I think the Syracuse and Colorado was the rumor uh, that, that Syracuse, might have been. I remember, was a big rumor because I was actually at Syracuse at the right. time. Uh, right. and, uh, and And they ended up going with um, – well, they had Greg Robinson for a while, and that just did not work out. And they were ready to ditch Robinson after one year because his first year was in uh, was in '05. They went one in ten. Syracuse did under Greg Robinson. And that was the same year that O'Leary turned UCF around from 0 and 11 to the first bowl game in school history. And Syracuse took notice of that in a hurry. Um, and then when Robinson was out the door, this is this is what I heard at least. Uh, at the time was that they did give George a call and he said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. But the guy who you might want to talk to is my old player, Doug Marone. And that's how the Doug Marone story got started. Lest we forget. (laughs) Well, don't laugh because Doug Marone was a good head coach at Syracuse, led them to a few bowl games before he decided to make the jump to the NFL. But, um, but yeah, I mean, but we've been through that before and, you know, but what we know, is O'Leary staying for a decade is the exception for a program like UCF well, and not the rule. Who was older of age. Yeah. And had gotten, what was it, like an eight to ten year extension from John Hitt? It was a right ten year extension from John yeah. Hitt and uh, Steve Warsini at the time. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of control there. Um, Scott Frost is a very young coach. So, um, you know, we'll see. Look, some people have suggested that he could be a candidate at Arizona State. Uh, which I believe is in that area is where he met Scott Frost, met his wife, for example. So people are going to throw stuff. Look, with all the latest developments, for example, at Louisville, what's going on there with the FBI, and I know it's affected oh, the basketball Who knows what's program. going on with that? Wow. Right. But with Rick Patino out and Tom Jurich out, uh, what does that mean for Bobby Petrino moving forward? You know, Jurich was the one that took a chance again on Petrino. So now you're going to have a new AD in Louisville, which I think is, a, is again, you talk about concern. I mean, there are certain people that'd be a good candidate there, too. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to leave, all right? So, look, I think the reality is, I think fans are just that you have to accept the fact that if you, with success, you're going to get this kind of stuff. You're going to get rumors. You're going to get speculation. Look, it doesn't stop with Frost or Danny White. How about Eric Chenander? What if he, uh, if this defense. Eric Chenander just, may have played himself into a potential head coaching job the last two that, weeks, I'll tell you that. Sure. If that's what he wants, you know, if that's what he wants and and that's the, but that's how this works. I mean, that's how this industry works. Right. So, uh, I don't think there's any sense of freaking out about it. You just kind of accept it. And I think if you're in naive, I just, what I hope is what I don't want, I don't want people to act like, well, you, you betrayed us. You know, like I saw this cause I've had this argument with some Houston friends because yeah. of Tom, Tom Herman went there coached two years incredible two years led him to the conference championship his first year and and won the bowl game in atlanta beat florida state second year didn't live up to the first year but they still beat oklahoma beat louisville you know 
Uh, and the Texas job opened. And, and I said that he would be the guy there. He was a grad assistant at Texas and under Mac Brown. And that would be the a job. And, and my Houston people refused to listen to that. They're like, <laughs> no, his, you know, his wife, his wife's happy in Houston. And, 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 you know, he just doesn't want to deal with the, the, the boosters in Texas. Yada, yada, yada. Well, what well, happened? <laughs> well, he went, he went to Texas and then people are mad. And I'm like, why are you mad? Like, like he gave you two great years. Like it's Texas. Like that's just the way it works. Like should be happy that he that he got the Texas job because it means he did a lot of great things for you. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I hate when people do that. I I don't. I just think to me, uh, he had the right to do that. I think it made a lot of sense. It was his dream job. And if whatever Scott Frost and I don't know what Scott. Nobody knows what Scott Frost wants to do except Scott Frost. And if Scott Frost feels at the end of the year, if, if, if he's offered or Nebraska or Arizona State, whatever, and he decides, you know what, that's best for me, then more power to him. And if he decides to stay, great. Uh, but either way, I think the important thing is, is what did he do for the program? And if, if he leads this team to another bowl game, let's say, and maybe nine, ten wins, let's say they win the division. Maybe they play for the conference title game. What if they win the conference or and, and or get into a high bowl game and then he bolts for another job? Why am I going to be mad? I should be right. saying thanks. Here's here's it. this is this will be the last word on this because we got to take a quick break. But I do. Th- I'm so glad you brought up the Houston example because if we're if we're kind of looking ahead with a realistic eye toward the future, what sort of program do we want UCF to be? Obviously, we'd like to be a place where where a destination where coaches want to stay. But with a realistic look at what's going on, Houston is a great example for UCF to follow. And here's why I say that. Houston, since 2003, here are, here's their list of head coaches. Art Bryles, Kevin Sumlin, Tony Levine, Tom Herman. All right? Look at those names that have plowed, that have plowed through Houston and won games, won a lot of games at Houston before they moved on to supposedly greener pastures. Art Bryles, for all the controversy, highly successful coach at Houston, was highly successful at Baylor. No questioning that. Kevin Sumlin, same deal. Tony Levine, not so successful. They pulled the plug on him pretty quick. Tom Herman, extremely successful. All right? Go back and look. Since Art Bryles took over Houston in 2003, Houston has been to bowl games. He took over for a team, by the way, that had that had gone seven seasons without a bowl game. Bryles gets to Houston, and since then, under Bryles, Sumlin, Levine, and Herman, Houston's been to 11 bowl games in 14 years and finished the season ranked in the top 25 twice, including one where they finished in the top 10. So if UCF ends up being a breeding ground for great coaches, if that's our place in college football right now, I don't think that's a bad place to be. Well, that's the American Conference. True. I mean, look, look at Memphis. Uh, Memphis is another example. Yeah. We just we've seen it with Justin Fuente turn that program around. Goes to Virginia Tech. What do they do? They find the next young guy, Mike Norville. Next who man I up. Think is gonna, who I think could be a candidate at Tennessee, for example. Hey, who knows? Yeah, hey, saying it, but uh, USF. <laughs> uh, Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart. Uh, yeah. He leaves USF, and now is turning around Oregon a little bit. Matt Rule leaves Temple to go to Baylor. We'll see how that goes. Um, so it goes on and on. So that's just the life that it is when you're not in a Power 5 school, quite honestly. Uh, so I, I, I don't, you know, it is what it is. And 
I don't worry about those type of things. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Power I see six, all Eric. Remember the branding. Power six. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Very good. Mike Oresco would be proud of you. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, look, I mean, it is what it is. But I, I just – whatever happens, <clears throat> I don't need – I don't like articles and columns being written. To, oh, well, this – you know, like people are trying to make a case about the attendance this weekend and that, hey, you need to show Scott Frost that you that uh, that you, he needs to stay because you packed the house, which I think is silly. OK, like, that, I would, hope be, that pack- would be great. But if we get 50,000 people at this well, game, like over capacity and Nebraska comes a call into Scott Frost and he leaves for Nebraska, then, you know, right. would and, anyone and, and, really be surprised? And this is where the media, I think, is to blame. Because you're setting up the fans to be angry yeah. in that by saying a statement like that. Because that has no bearing of what's going to happen in the future. Plus, we should sell uh, the game out anyway. Right. And, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, regardless. Uh, you know, and maybe, you know, but that has no bearing on what Scott Frost or anybody in that staff will do in the future. Everybody's got their own business that they got to do. Everybody has to watch out for themselves because here's the hypocrisy of all this, right? If Scott Frost went 2 and 10, everybody would want him fired. Right. 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 And how many and how many times have we seen coaches that stay or stick around for loyalty and then when things go south, they'll bail on them. So it's funny how hypocritical we are. Right. Oh, how dare he leaves to go to a bigger job and all that. But, you know, when he's winning, but when he's losing, ah, get him out of here. He, yeah. He's a bum. We're hypocrites, aren't we? Big hypocrites. We have. Uh, we have, I say. I. I don't say that. I said, well, yes, we are hypocrites. But really what the problem is, we have short attention spans. That's what it is. So, yeah, and I'll say this about the fan. Uh, as far as the attendance, uh, all those people that were upset at Georgia Tech being left uh, missed on the schedule and people that were mad at me because I said it wasn't that big of a deal, here's your chance. Here's your chance to put up or shut up. Go to the game. This is a big game. Yep. It's a bigger game than Georgia Tech was ever going to be. This is a great game, and it's a fun game, and it's going to be a great weather Saturday night. Uh, so we'll see that's, what happens. That's what we're hoping. It, it may rain uh, prior to the game, about a 50% chance of rain just before, right. but uh, it'll be a Ooh. warm night. Uh, the weather should be nice. By the way, the uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. UCF favored by four points. Uh, this wow. is according to oddshark.com. And wow. the uh, or other and the uh, over under, like we said, is really high, sixty nine. So, um, so yeah, kickoff at seven o'clock. It will be on ESPN two. But never mind all that. You need to be there. So, all right, absolutely. But you know what? And I'll and this will be a tease. Mm-hmm. As big as this UCF Memphis game is, and it might be the biggest home game in four years, I could argue that it's not even the biggest UCF Memphis game on campus this weekend. Good point. And that's a great segue because we'll be talking about that in just a second. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thank you, Andrew and Trace, by the way, who are now, they are now 0-2 in UCF <laughs> Fantasy this season. <laughs> yeah! And, oh, man, uh, can I tell you, that was great. Can I tell you this? I was sitting next to Trace in the press box up at College Park. He must not have been a happy camper for that. I mean, and, happy and, because and, and, UCF's winning, but, you know. Well, uh, that was good, but... but <laughs> First of all, they had Traquan Smith, right? Who was like, remember that drive where he was like literally a yard away from scoring? Yeah. Twice. Uh, couldn't score. That's right. That's right. She just came up short. UCF set up for the field goal. And then when the UCF put the game away with our boy, Adrian, killing, killing, baby. Let's play the clip. Play that touchdown one more. Once again, I want to hear it. Give it to Killen inside. towards the end zone. Touchdown. Adrian Killen. Ah, Mark Daniels, the voice of the Knights, courtesy, obviously. Of, it's uh, music to our video. ears. <laughs> music Literally music, dramatic. Ears. How about the fact that dramatic music, obviously, with this competition, such dramatic uh, finish to our victory. 2-0, and baby. 2-0, and just like UCF. It's a beautiful thing. Looking to make it 3-0, and just like UCF is this weekend. So, so we All right, so we have to switch it up a little bit this week because everything was so crazy this weekend. I, I actually think this is a better way of doing it. We're going we're gonna to reveal the picks for UCF Fantasy um, between us and uh, Andrew and Trace from the Nightline podcast uh, here, and then they get to give us the results on on their show on uh, uh, post games. So, um, all right. So we picked that they picked first. So they picked Taj McGowan first as their offensive player, and they picked Mike Hughes as their defensive player. We Eric Lopez uh, are sticking with our man Adrian Killens on offense. And, oh, yeah. and we are uh, going with um, Chaquan Burkett on defense. Loving it. Get Chaquan, work, by boys. the way, the second leading tackler on the team. So, so, right. uh, so that, so that, the, so that's our UCF fantasy matchup. It's Adrian Killens and Chaquan Burkett for us against uh, Taj McGowan and Mike Hughes uh, for Nightline. I actually, uh, if I'm if I'm handicapping this, Eric Lopez. I think they're a three and a half point favorite this week. What do you think? They're favorites. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying they're favorites this week, which is going to make it suck even more for them when they lose. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, that's uh, man. I mean, it's it's you know. I I mean, I could tell in Trace's face defeat. The disappointment. I mean, there's definitely confidence is shaken. Um, so we'll see. They'll the see. Disappointment. I, I, I could, questioning. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. It's great. What did I? You know, it's one of those. What have I gotten myself into? Type of deals. <laughs> I, I could tell. I think that was clear. All right. So, 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 so keep it. Keep an eye on that. We'll have the results for you. I think the Nightline guys will have the results for you um, in the post game show. So, all right. Let's uh, let's dive back into some other news. By the way, don't forget to subscribe to us if you haven't yet on uh, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, and on Twitter, and uh, we will be live blogging the UCF Memphis game once again. You, me, and uh, and Brian Murphy will be. That went so well last week. I had so much fun doing that with you guys. Um, and you guys will be at the game. I will be. Uh, I will not. Unfortunately, I will not be at. The Boo! Game. You're I that know, guy. I know. You're I don't want. Guy. Well, no, no, no. The thing is, I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? So, um, you know. But but that's why you guys are there eyes and ears and uh this should be uh, this should be a fun weekend a really fun weekend for this game i'm looking forward to it um let's take a look at what's been what else has been going on around uh at ucf let's start with you now you mentioned before we uh before we went to break eric lopez that the football game between ucf and memphis uh 
may not necessarily be the biggest game this weekend between those two schools. And why is no. that? Because I think there's a bigger one. I don't know. What's the hours here? Like if the next day, we'll call it. UCF Memphis women's soccer. Uh, 18 hours a, later, 1 o'clock thank you. on Sunday. That's a big game. It's a big match. Uh, big weekend. UCF back home, by the way. We, I mean, we've talked. We haven't seen UCF soccer at home since. Uh, was it the North Ooh, Carolina match? Was um, that the- it, yeah. UCF women's My soccer's goodness. last home, last official home match was that overtime thriller against North Carolina. Now, they did play one home, quote, game, end Scrim- quote, right. against uh, Eastern Florida State. Officially, it was a scrimmage. But, um, yeah, this is their first home game since the North Carolina game, which was all the way back on August the 25th. Wow, yeah. that is nuts. Um, 13th rank, by the way, UCF Knights mm-hmm. uh, team coming off, uh, blowing out East Carolina on the road, going 1-0-1 and on the road at a scoreless draw at Cincinnati. I watched that match on the digital network, Jeff, and my concerns were true. They were, I thought they were a little rusty. Mm-hmm. They do. They were definitely off. rusty in that uh, game, it looked like. Against a very good Cincinnati team that's giving UCF fits the last couple of years. I actually thought that was a good result to get out of there with a draw. And I was happy to see them take it, take it to East Carolina early, and the offense exploded to go one zero and one. Now, obviously, let's not dismiss the fact there is matches on Thursday uh, before that showdown on Sunday. Yeah, can't overlook which, that match. It's, it's Tulsa that's going to be in town yeah. uh, for that match. That game uh, kicks off uh, again Thursday night, seven p.m. You can catch that on UCFNights.tv as well as the right. Memphis game. On Sunday, but can't overlook Tulsa, by the way, well, who uh, and, comes into this game as I'm checking the standings. They're three, seven, and two overall, but one and one in the league. Right. A Memphis team that was the preseason pick by many to win the soccer, mm-hmm. uh, the, the league. Uh, it is a rivalry, UCF and Memphis. If you follow women's soccer, that goes back to Conference USA. It goes back to 2007. And it is a like- nasty rivalry, too. It was. I mean, they, they played for CUSA championships. I'll never forget. They were, I forget the year. I think it was 09 where UCF hosted the Conference USA tournament. It was against Memphis, and Memphis won on a late goal. There was question controversy around it, and I never seen Coach Cromwell so mad afterwards. Uh, Memphis is a great program. Brooks Monaghan is still the head coach there. Uh, they had a really strong year last year. Uh, they, they've made the adjustments. They're an explosive team. Now, they play at USF. Thursday night in a match that'll be in the American Digital Network. And, you know, you look at that, and I know it's early in the conference, but you look at the RPI, UCF number four in the RPI. Memphis is 33. Mm-hmm. That's the third best RPI of any team in the American. Cincinnati, I believe, is 12 uh, in the RPI. USF's 49. Connecticut is the defending uh, one of the conference champs. Uh, they, they, with their, they lost some personnel. They're in the hundreds in the RPI. They're off to a slow start. Yeah. So, this is a big match. I think this is potentially the two best teams in the league. A uh, lot of ramifications with that. Remember, the team that wins the regular season title gets to host the conference tournament. And if you look at UCF situation, four RPI, 13th ranked in the country. Uh, if they were, you know, this is a big match because you want to have a leg up on everybody. This, the schedule sets up where you have your big games at home. And Memphis is, I think, a big obstacle. And if they can get through that, as well as the others, 
Now you're hosting the conference tournament and maybe you're playing not only for the automatic bid and trying to win the tournament, but maybe you're trying to play yourself in a position of hosting not just the first round of the NCAA tournament, but maybe the second round, the third round, and maybe the Elite Eight. And oh, by the way, the Final Four is where? The College Cup? Oh, that's, uh, you know, in downtown Orlando over at Orlando City Stadium. Oh, how about that? So lots, lots to play for for Coach Zahedak in the Knights. I know it sounds crazy since it's still early in conference. This is only the second weekend of the conference. But uh, I'm telling you, this Memphis team is explosive. Uh, they've scored 30 goals in 11 matches so far this year. Uh, and they're a team that likes to jump on teams. They like to, they've scored 16 goals in the first half. Uh, they've got some great individual talents. A name to keep in mind as you go to that Sunday match, Elizabeth Warner, eight goals Jeffrey, eight goals in 11 games this season. Yeah, she's a problem. <laughs> she's a huge star, a player of the year candidate. This will be a challenge for UCF defensively, uh, and it'll be a big test for them. UCF obviously is coming off two shutouts in a row. They're very, they've gotten better defensively. Again, obviously you got to start with Tulsa. Tulsa is not a pushover by any stretch in the league. Uh, but I'm telling you, this Memphis match is huge uh, from a lot of, of ramifications. Uh you know, and so I, I yeah, I do. I, I know. And I know there's that guy that some of them are listening like, oh, I can't. Be, what do you say? A women's side. Look, I get it. Football's more popular and everything themselves. But at the end of the day, regardless of what happens in football on Saturday, uh, UCF could still win out and win the division. Right. Whereas in women's soccer here, the loser of this game falls behind by three points. And it's going to be could be a challenge to make up that ground as the season goes on. That's why I do think this is a big match and the ramifications are enormous. And again, two great programs uh, in women's soccer going at it with a long time rivalry. So it'll be another chapter written on Sunday that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. These, and just to give you a little bit more perspective on it in the American Cincinnati, UCF and Memphis are all tied atop the conference yep. with, with, uh, with identical records of one Oh and one. So yeah, that's the, so this that shows you how important this game is for UCF. But like you said, got to get through Tulsa first, and that's on Thursday night. So Thursday night and then Sunday afternoon, those two games for UCF uh, women's soccer, huge matchups uh, coming up. All right, men's soccer. Speaking of teams that haven't played a home game in something close to forever, uh, right now they are one four. And one on the season. They got back to action uh, last week, uh, last Saturday. They actually, uh, a heartbreaking loss at USF in double OT. They led at 1.2 to 1 before uh, USF scored uh, a, an equalizer uh, just before the end of, uh, just before the end of, with about, in the 81st minute, rather, um, to tie the game. Uh, and then they won it uh, in the 107th minute. Um, uh, on a goal by Alex Zeese. So UCF uh, falls to USF in uh, what I think was the first, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the first war on I-4 matchup of the, of the, uh, of the year. Is that right, Eric? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, boy, reminiscing a little bit of the semifinal in the conference tournament last year in Tampa. Remember UCF, USF back and forth. UCF had the lead. USF got a late goal to tie it up. They went to overtime. USF mm -hmm. pulled it out with the golden goal, and they did it again. Um, Heartbreaker. Tough, tough balls. Ah, tough and – Heartbreaker. It, it's, it's, it's – man, my concern, you know, it's one of those things where you're 
They lose a tight one on the road this year. It's kind of like a what if. They've lost some tight ones so far this year. They've been in almost every match. And uh, what a start that would have been for the league yeah. play. But uh, heartbreaking. But that's part of the process, right? I know you've talked to Coach Calabrese is, is in this transition. Is guys got to learn how to finish matches. Yeah. Well, one of the good things that you do have, though, is, is that the way the schedule does work out is at least you have your conference schedule intact. And you can make up that deficit pretty quickly, considering that you're playing everybody just once. And uh, there are only uh, seven conference matches, essentially. So um, looking at what they have coming up next, the Knights are... Um, Where's that? I just had it. Oh, there, there it goes. They are on the road at SMU uh, this coming Friday. Uh, SMU is coming into that match, uh, at, at least right now, 6-2 and two on the year. SMU is pretty good. Uh, at least so they've shown so far. First home game is still on the docket set for Wednesday against Stetson, 7 p.m. on UCFNights.tv, Eric Lopez. And this is, believe it or not, the first home game for UCF men's soccer this season. They have not played a home game aside from the two exhibitions in mid-August. They have not played a home game yet. Coach Scott Calabrese has not made his home debut. He will against... Uh, the Stetson Hatters, October the 4th. That is a Wednesday, 7 p.m. We talked about how long it's been since women's soccer had a home game. Going back to that North Carolina match, well, goodness gracious, men's soccer, the schedule didn't do them any favors this year, did it? Just a weird deal. Yeah, I know. Nothing you can do about it. They've had, they've had two, let's see, they had, the FIU match was canceled. That was supposed to be home. Charlotte match was canceled. That was canceled. Uh, that was supposed to be the home for, home opener due to weather. That had nothing to do with a hurricane. It was just a bad weather night on September the first. So they've been on the road at Jacksonville, at West Virginia, at Florida Gulf Coast, at USF, uh, and they're still on the road at SMU before they get uh, before they get Stetson. By the way, Matias Puzolo did score a goal in that game. He's got four goals uh, on the season uh, to lead the Knights, and hopefully looking for a few more. So. We'll see how that works out. And then uh, volleyball. All right, let's catch you up on volleyball real quick. Split the conference opening weekend. Um, I was there for uh, both matches, Elo, Friday and Sunday. Started Friday against East Carolina. This is one of the best matches I think I've seen in a while. It was just, it was a weird match, but it was a five-setter. UCF defeats East Carolina, a game East Carolina squad. Um in five, uh, twenty, or excuse me, fifteen to twelve in the fifth. Neither team uh, in the in the first four sets, the losing team didn't score more than sixteen points. So it was really kind of a back and forth uh, type of deal. A uh, couple of the interesting notes: Kia Bright, uh, twenty-one kills in this match uh, to go with eighteen digs. Another huge double double for her. Um, Taylor Wiki uh, had 11 kills of her own. Christina Fisher had 10. Um, uh, and uh, also, you know, at the back-and-forth offensive scheme that they've been running with Aaron Olsen and Miranda Watkins as the setters has just been fantastic to watch. Uh, and Olsen was excellent on defense, too, with 13 digs. Jordan Pingle had 12. So uh, the defense was really great for uh, UCF in this East Carolina game. And, uh, and oh, oh, by the way, I do have a little bit from Todd Dagenet. Here's Todd talking about uh, the end of that uh, East Carolina match and kind of the weirdness of the match and then how it all uh, kind of worked out. Taking it into the fifth set, that just becomes, you know, two cage fighters in a cage just punching until one of them just can't. 
punch anymore or until the time runs out. And I think that's really what happened. The time just kind of ran out, and we just happened to be ahead. Um, that was uh, that was a heck of a war. Um, and they have my utmost admiration and respect for what they brought in. Um, they have my admiration for how hard they fight. But I'll tell you what, my team has my admiration and my respect as well because at no point did they ever give up. So there you go. UCF uh, defeats East Carolina uh, in five. And then uh, 48 hours later, come back on Sunday, or less than 48 hours later, they had to come back on Sunday and face a Cincinnati squad. And Eric, I told you I was worried about this match because we know about Cincinnati, Jordan Thompson. She's out for the season. She was on the bench, obviously. You know, she travels with the team but did not play. Um, Cincinnati comes in. And they just lay the smack down. 3 nothing. Uh, this match was uh, Cincinnati gets the sweep. And there were a couple of spots where it looked like we would figure something out. But East Carolina just had their heavy hitters. Uh, Taylor Wickey did not play in this match uh, for UCF. Now, there was a milestone that we wanted to pass along. Kia Bright <clears throat> picked up three digs on uh, Sunday, or four digs, rather to put her in the 1,000-1,000 club. That's 1,000 kills, 1,000 digs at UCF. She is uh, the 11th player to hit 1,000 digs in her career and only the fifth to go 1,000-1,000. So, wow, congratulations to Kia. What an amazing achievement. It just stinks that it came in a game where, um, you know, and she played spectacularly in this game, but... Um, boy, did Cincinnati just bring it. Had to hand it to the Bearcats because um, they came out uh, emotional start. And, uh, and wow, do they have some heavy hitters. Carly Nolan was just excellent for them, as was Erica Kostelak. Uh, for UCF, Kia Bright did finish with 12 kills uh, and 11 digs. Uh, Christina Fisher with nine kills. but um, And Jordan Pingle, another 18 digs. She just continues to, uh, to, <laughs> she continues to be the human shovel. Just digging everything, um, but she was uh, she was sticking her face in a number of really uh, uh, of of big time shots from uh, big time swings from uh, from the likes of Carly Nolan and Erica Kostelak of Cincinnati. So uh, UCF volleyball right now stands at uh, eight and five on the season, and now they are heading out on the road the next two weekends. And this is the tough road trip, Eric Lopez, because Friday they are at Memphis, 8 o'clock start for that. And uh, you can watch that. If you go on UCFnights.com, yeah, the uh, uh, Memphis set will have live video of that. And then on Sunday, October the 1st, 1 p.m., they're going to number 23, Wichita State. Conference match yeah. now because Wichita yeah. State's in the league, and uh, they're ranked number 23 in the country. So that's going to be a tough match before it, and that's – and that's just this weekend. Then they go at, out to Tulsa and SMU on October 6th and the 8th, respectively, before they finally come home. But um, this is going to be a tough weekend for UCF Volleyball because we know how tough the road trips are. And now you're playing Wichita State for the first time. Which makes the Memphis match actually really big. Yeah. Because uh, you drop that. Now you're 1-2 going into Wichita. That's going to be tough with still two road matches to go on that. So... Uh, you know, if you can just get a split, you know, ideally would be you're, you're okay uh, on the road. That's always been the rule of thumb, by the way. And I know it's not logistically possible because of travel partners. Uh, 
Can you imagine if we would have had Memphis UCF here in Orlando? You could have had oh, I know. volleyball here on Friday, football on Saturday, and soccer on Sunday. Yo, <laughs> now, obviously the football was not scheduled originally like that. So, but it's just I'm always a big uh, into that. I'm always, and I don't know. Uh, it's not. It's easier said than done. And certainly with you know, like for example, Wichita State doesn't play every sport, etc. Uh, but I'm always a proponent of, you know, if you've got a team, you know, whether it be in the fall or in the spring, like if, you know, Memphis is playing UCF in football on the same weekend, play them at women's soccer, let it be on the same campus. I think that would be pretty cool. Baseball, the same thing. I always like it with baseball. I was there two years ago when UCF was at USF, both in baseball and softball, and it really made for a fun weekend. So um, I always like that. It's just kind of funny. UCF at Memphis on Friday night. It's a Memphis weekend. I mean, just yeah. colored blue. Uh, and all well, hopefully not. <laughs> well, it's a blue out. You know, it's a big matches though. Uh, like I said, even though it's early in conference in volleyball, again, I, that's a big match for them to get Memphis because you're right. Wichita State, uh, the clear favorites in the league, going up there. That's not an easy place to play. Four game road trip. Uh, you don't want to dig yourself a hole in the league. Uh, what do you? What, I mean, like, what do you? Now, now, here's a question I have for you. You mentioned that UCF was without; uh, they were shorthanded on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Is that a concern? Now, is the depth of this team that this team cannot afford to have injuries or uh, at all that there will be a drop off? Well, there. I thought personally that there was a drop off on Sunday, because, but mostly it was because. They didn't uh, now. From what I heard, they didn't know that Taylor was not going to play until literally thirty minutes before the game or before the match. And think about what that does for your game planning. You watch the film, you figure out your game plan, you write everything up, and then all of a sudden, mm, your middle blocker can't play. That six feet four inches is not going to be not going to be up front. You know, getting her hands on some of those on some of those big time Memphis swings and force them to go where they don't want to go. So you you have to throw out your game plan. Um, you know, in, in essentially 30 minutes. Um, I think they're going to have a little bit more. If Taylor does not play this weekend, not we don't have any word on that yet, but if Taylor doesn't play this weekend, um, at least you're going to be able to game plan that, right? So I don't think that the drop-off will be quite as bad if that's the case. On the other hand, though, see, the thing that people forget that Taylor brings is not just the height. But the leadership, she's such a, she's just so steady and cool up there. You know, whenever things, whenever things go awry, she's just kind of like, hey guys, you know, that's all right. Let's 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 gather around, get it, get things back together, and we'll be fine. She's such a stabilizing force, uh, in, you know, in the locker room and on the floor. I think that's what UCF misses the most. Not saying that there are other people that can't pick up the slack for that, but you know, she's one of your seniors, and that's and it's tough when you're not playing when your seniors out there for that. Uh, particular reason. So hopefully Taylor gets back soon, um, you know, because we're going to need all the help we can get this weekend against Memphis what, what, and especially Wichita. What's your, what's your hope personally for this four uh, four match road trip? Uh, you mentioned it at Memphis, at Wichita State, at Tulsa the following weekend at SMU. Uh, not easy places uh, to put. You know, is two and two? Would you be happy yeah. if I told you they went two and two? Is that kind of what you're hoping? Yeah, my, my uh, hope is with, with the way the schedule. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry, I was going to say that the way the schedule works out and the way that and the, just how tough this conference is this year. Yeah, if you can get a, if you can get splits out, you know, on the road out of there and you're and you come back home 
three and three in the league, and you would be ten and eight overall coming back for um, UConn and Temple. I think you're thrilled at that at that point. And of course, it depends on you know, and just like it always does, it depends on how that uh, how the schedule. Uh, or or how that how those matches sort of play out, right? Like, I mean, we're looking right now. I'm looking at the schedule right now. Wichita ten and three, two and zero in the league. Three teams atop the league at two and zero: Wichita, SMU, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, by the way, two and ten out of conference, two and zero in the conference. Um, well, they seem to have rallied, right? You yeah. told me we talked. They've rallied around. Obviously, Jordan Thompson. We talked about it on the last episode. How she's out for the year. And they they overscheduled maybe a little bit non conference and stuff, but they've gotten now used to playing without her mm-hmm. and maybe a rally. Did you sense that watching them in person that they're they've got a second gear here that okay well, they've kind of moved on. You know, there's that stage of wow, what are we to do without Jordan Thompson? And now maybe they've gotten used to it, and now they're starting to figure themselves out and might still be a, a dangerous team here in the league. Well, they're a hell of a lot better than two and ten out of the league. I th- now they had an insane out of conference schedule. I think that's the other thing that happened too, and they kind of uh, and and they were trying to do that because you know when, that when they were expecting that they would have Jordan, um, they would you know they scheduled some really tough non conference matches in order to boost their RPI. Well, right. then they don't have her, and then they get clobbered by those high RPI teams. Well, then they come back. In their schedule, this is a pretty this is a pretty talented team. Nolan, I think I was really impressed with. She's going to be a problem for the next couple of years because I think she's a well. Junior. She's underrated. She's underrated because she's on the shadow of Thompson. But that's right. part of that recruiting class that Coach Molly brought in from Cincinnati. Yeah, that, Molly Alvey. Know, they, by the way, just had a baby. By the way, congratulations yeah. to Molly Alvey and uh, and her yes. husband. But she, that's part of that class with Nolan and Thompson. I mean, they—that's a group that you know that that's turned around that program, and they've won a lot of matches. So uh, that doesn't surprise me that Nolan has stepped up. I figured if anybody was going to step up, it would be her. Uh, so that's interesting. But you mentioned SMU's at the top of the standings. They've been good late recently, and that's one of the four road matches they got to yeah. go to. So it's it's a it's a challenge. And you're right. I think I agree with you. You got, if you can get a split. On the road, the way this league is set up this year, uh, I think you take it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm looking at that schedule and the standings right now uh, for UCF. Like I said, Memphis, Wichita, Tulsa, SMU. Um, Tulsa right now one and one, seven and seven. Memphis seven and seven. They're zero and two in the league. Uh, Tulsa, uh, we talked about Tulsa. Wichita, obviously, we talked about where they are two and zero and ten and three, and then SMU's two and zero at eight and five. So, you know, there, there's your schedule right there. You can, if you can steal two of those, you know, and hey, to be honest with you, if you can steal the Wichita State match, that would be really great because that'll boost the RPI as well. Because, um, you know, I mean, we know that they're going to be pretty high up there. Um, there is no volleyball RPI out there just yet, by the way. Go ahead. It's a resume win. If you beat Wichita oh, yeah. State, that's a resume win. Yeah. And then that gives you a little bit more confidence heading into, I think, that second weekend. I think that's the other thing. You think it because if you go into Wichita State, beat them in their place, then you're thinking, you know what, we could go to Tulsa and SMU and knock them both off. And uh, and, and uh, so I, I'm going to be watching that match very closely on Sunday. I'll have that on the computer and Red Zone up on the TV, and we'll see what happens from there. So, uh, all right. So that's uh, so that's where you can follow UCF volleyball again. UCFnights.com. Uh, they have the uh, they have the look at or they have the links rather to the to the watch live for Memphis and Wichita State. 
uh, this weekend. All right, Elo. So as we wrap things up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, uh, what do you have going on? I know you're going to be at the game on Saturday. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll be there. Looking forward to it. Uh, so Murph. Friday. Murph, Murph. Get to hang out with Murph. Get to hang out with Jeff Brightwells. We, uh, he'll be there. So and we I'll be, will be uh, live blogging the game, the three of us, once again yep. on blackandgoldbanneret.com, live blogging from about an hour before kickoff. You were going on Facebook Live uh, this uh, last weekend when we were in when we were in College Park. I love that, man. You got a little bit of weather report up there, and uh, I'm looking forward to you doing some of the same stuff this weekend too, brother. Got the victory celebration for UCF, which is up there as well. Uh, awesome. That was fundamentalin. Uh, this time around, I think I might go the Periscope route, maybe go on the Twitter route with Eric Lopez Elo. So I mm-hmm. might go up down the field before the game and and uh, do some things like that and uh, go from there. So, uh, yeah, I'll be doing some of that video stuff as well, uh, maybe before the game, maybe even after. Who knows? Depends how everything kind of plays out. The thing I'm excited about is they'll have the well, – is getting, you know, cookies and stuff at halftime, which we did not get any <laughs> of that at Maryland, which I don't understand how that happens. You're a Big Ten school. How does that not – uh, transpire, but um, that wasn't yeah, on no. the rider, apparently. <laughs> I'm evidently not. So, I'll be at the football game Saturday. Actually, Friday, you'll love this. I'll be at fall ball, softball, opening fall ball. That's right. Uh, fall practice is underway, uh, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Baseball just had their first practice. Uh, softball's had their first practice this week. They're gonna have their first fall ball game. Softball will on Friday at five o'clock. I believe it's open to the people. I'm gonna head out there and get the first look at the, some of the new faces out there and then uh, football on Saturday and then uh, who knows maybe Sunday um, also a little check soccer out maybe soccer right there yeah the Dolphins yeah. are playing the Saints if they decide to show up this week at 930 in the morning <laughs> in London uh, like last week where they apparently decided to take a bye week um, so yeah obviously uh, I may head out there maybe I can uh, convince you to come you know I mean what are you going to do watch the Giants again I mean that's you know what yeah my do? NFL season is pretty much over at this point so uh, so yeah maybe we'll, hopefully we'll be at, hopefully I'll get the chance to check out some of that uh, like you said I'll be uh, with, uh, uh, you and Brian and myself we will once again be live blogging the game on blackandgoldbanneret.com make sure you check that out uh, and uh, watch along with us as we uh, as we watch the Memphis game uh, for uh, for UCF football, don't forget to uh, follow us on Facebook as well, Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. And Read my article too, by the yes. way. Read my article. Hey, you got listen. Props to you. We got we got some good stuff up there. Two things that I wanted to get up there. Number one, your article that you put up this week about the TV ratings, highest right. uh, most watched UCF game, the Maryland game was since the Michigan game, which was on network TV, ABC. Yeah, uh, details there. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the most watched national rated uh, UCF game since that Michigan game. We'll see. I think the Memphis game has a shot to surpass that. Obviously, being on ESPN2, more people are ha- watch ESPN2 Prime than time. does FS1. Primetime helps. So I think that'll pass the Maryland game. We'll have those numbers once it comes out. They usually come out Tuesday. Uh, I sometimes get local numbers from the PR guy. It's really I'm at the mercy of them. But that's stuff that I will be working on for next week as far as the Memphis game is concerned. But you can check out the details of the Maryland game and the numbers it did and compared to maybe other UCF games in the past. So that's on the site right now. Yes, indeed. And uh, so is Brian Murphy's preview of the Memphis game as well. Uh, Our cram session uh, articles, which he has been pumping out every week. Uh, that we've had, that we've been ready for football. Um, they're really great, and you should take a look at them uh, to get yourself ready 
uh, for the ball game. So make sure you check it out as well on blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are also on Twitter. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. And follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. UCF underscore Banneret as well. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Leave us a rating. Leave us a message. Don't be afraid to reach out to us. And, oh, by the way, you can email us now, blackandgoldbanneret at gmail.com, blackandgoldbanneret at gmail.com. If you got a question, if you got some, a comment, if you got something that you want us to uh, touch upon on the, uh, on the show, let us know about it. Happy to uh, – to, we haven't, we're not, I haven't gotten a listener email yet. I can't, believe, I can't even believe it yet. So um, make sure you hit us up there. So for Eric Lopez, I am Jeff Sharon. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you for the Memphis game on our live blog on Saturday. <laughs>